You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find courses, resources and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast each week with the very talented Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author extraordinaire. Her latest book is The Wolf's Howl, the second instalment in the Maven and Reeve mystery series, and it's available now through libraries, bookstores and online. But today, you're listening to one of our in-between-isodes, where Alison is off on her authory adventures, and we listen to a story session, just you, me and our guest author of the week. This story session is brought to you by the book So You Want to Be a Writer, written by both Alison and myself. Do you want to write a novel or earn an income as a freelance writer? We give you the steps you need to make your dream a reality in the book So You Want to Be a Writer. This book lays out a blueprint to help you get started and thrive in the world of words. With advice from over 120 writers, you'll tap into proven wisdom and find the path that will lead you to success. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash book. That's writercentre.com.au slash book. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that we've written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au forward slash book. But back to our story session where you'll hear directly from our featured author about their writing life and processes, along with the first chapter of their book. It's an opportunity for you to tune in to a new book or author all in the comfort of your own earbuds while doing the dishes or on your daily commute. Who knows, you may discover your next favourite book or author. This week, I've chosen Dark Rise by C.S. Packat. This is the latest novel from the author of the best-selling YA trilogy, Captive Prince, and it is the first in what is already shaping up to be an unputdownable new series. Here's the blurb so you can find out a little bit more about what the story is about. The ancient world of magic is no more. Its heroes are dead, its halls are ruins, and its great battles between light and dark are forgotten. Only the stewards remember, and they keep their centuries-long vigil, sworn to protect humanity if the Dark King ever returns. Sixteen-year-old Doc Boy Will is on the run, pursued by the men who killed his mother. When an old servant tells him of his destiny to fight beside the stewards, Will is ushered into a world of magic, where he must train to play a vital role in the oncoming battle against the dark. As London is threatened by the Dark King's return, the reborn heroes and villains of a long-forgotten war begin to draw battle lines. But as the young descendants of light and dark step into their destined roles, old allegiances, old enmities and old flames are awakened. Will must stand with the last heroes of the light to prevent the fate that destroyed their world from returning to destroy his own. 
Now, before you hear them read from their novel, C.S. Pacat will share some insight into where the idea for this book came from and their process. It's really fascinating and they offer some excellent tips for aspiring writers. So here is C.S. Pacat and Dark Rise. Hi, I'm C.S. Pacat and I'm the author of Dark Rise. Valerie has asked me to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter. So here goes. First question, what inspired you to write this story? Dark Rise is my agonized love letter to those English pastoral fantasies that my child self loved, particularly Lord of the Rings, but also Narnia and The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper that my title is an allusion to. I grew up sort of escaping into them, but especially as a, a queer kid, like I never saw myself represented by the heroes. You know, I those straightforward heroes eating hot buttery toast as they trudged up across, you know, green and pleasant lands. But the result was that the villains fascinated me. And the idea of what happens when you grow up told that you're destined to be the villain. Will the story of the past play out again? Or can you fight your fate and forge a new path? These are the questions that Dark Rise wrestles with, and that idea was the genesis of the story. Question two, can you describe your writing process? I often start with an exercise. It's kind of a cliche, uh, write the book that you want to read. But I, I actually do quite an immersive exercise where I imagine myself walking into a bookshop or a library and everyone has a book that they're looking for when they do that, Um, some kind of book that they're always searching for and they're never exactly finding. And I try and imagine that moment and think about the book that I'm looking for and I ask myself questions about it. What genre is it? How do I want it to make me feel? What kind of journey do I want it to take me on? And I start building from there. I'm not someone for whom uh, ideas sort of spring up naturally, so I have to work quite hard at the early stage of the process, the ideas gathering and formation stage. I try and keep myself really open to ideas all the time when I'm reading other books, when I'm consuming media, I'll do expeditions to museums or just borrow a ton of art books from the library and go through them and try and, and see if, if anything can spark from, from that external input. Then I'll start building and plotting. I, do, I build characters. I always try and ask myself, what's the, what's the coolest version of this? What's the most exciting version of this? I look for tensions uh, explosive interactions, tense situations. I'll build a plot and build characters at the same time. And then I'll, I'll plot my series. I do that with combination of pen to paper, writing, note taking. I'll use cards and sort of move them around on a table. And then I'll start writing everything up into a giant spreadsheet. I used to have a process where I would then commence my first draft, but As the novels that I've written have grown in complexity, I've added a stage where I do what's not exactly a draft. It's much more of a sketch draft. It's it's almost a more detailed outline. 
and I'll find things that I can add, solve problems in that rough sketch form. I'm actually a very slow writer when it comes to writing manuscripts. So the idea of the sketch is to save myself time. I can basically draft and redraft the sketch rather than having to spend sort of a year writing a, a full draft of a manuscript that's, that's only going to change in the drafting process. Once the sketch is done, then I'll sit down and, and, and write the manuscript itself. Having built the ideas and the characters and worked out or sort of like broken out most of the beats in the sketch, uh, that frees me to focus my energy on on characterization and on prose in the final draft. And then I I will I have a group of I'm lucky enough to have a group of friends that are also writers, extremely talented people, and we'll swap drafts. Um, so I'll send uh, the draft out to them. They'll uh, give me their feedback. I'll fold it into a. a penultimate draft that then goes to my editor and then begin the editorial process with the publisher. Question three, what was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? This is my second trilogy and what I learned moving from book to book is that some books just are more difficult than others and certain certain qualities of the book make it more or less difficult. So Writing in multiple points of view is more difficult than writing a single point of view. And when you're writing in a single point of view, your story just follows the protagonist and wherever the protagonist goes, that's the story. When you're writing in multiple viewpoints, you've got to have a very clear story, uh, idea of the story, and you've got to then understand how each piece of uh, other characters' viewpoint fit together in a collage-like way to create a larger picture. The more characters you have, the more difficult in a scene, the more difficult the scene is to write. For example, I know that Tolkien famously, you know, at the end of um, The Fellowship of the Ring, he splits up the um, the fellowship and uh, he writes in his letters that it was because he was finding it just too technically demanding to keep writing nine characters together in scenes. You know, adding themes, adding different structural elements, different kinds of twists or reveals, they can all increase the difficulty. And um, in that sense, Dark Rise was a huge jump up from my first series, Captive Prince. It has more characters with agency, a huge amount of world building, um, contrast compare with Captive Prince. There's there's also, it's just a, a larger story in scope. And finally, uh, it, it's based on a series of, I would say, more complicated reveals and twists. So it's just technically much more demanding. So the challenging aspect of writing the book was taking the skills that I'd learned in Captive Prince and then building on them and enlarging them to take on a greater scale of, of book with Dark Rise. Question four, what was the most rewarding aspect of writing this book? The most rewarding aspect of writing Dark Rise was writing the ending. Um, the ending of Dark Rise, the entire book builds to it like a crescendo and um, it's a huge technical challenge to pull off. One of the things that I most wanted to do in Dark Rise is take, you know, that classic battle of good and evil that you see so often in fantasy set up what seems like a classic and maybe even old-fashioned story at first and then uh, drastically destabilise it so that the reader is kind of white-knuckling it, like, oh, my God, what is going to happen? 
And the ending, I think, is where Dark Rise really comes together and and shows its hand, shows um, everything that it's doing. I've had feedback from readers that, you know, the ending kind of blows their mind and... It was just so satisfying to to write those scenes and, and bring everything together. Question five, what's it like to be an author who doesn't have a mobile phone or internet at home? For example, how do you communicate with your editor? How do you connect with fans? It's true that I don't have a mobile phone. You know, people are... <laughs> People argue constantly over whether the internet is a force for good or is it doing us harm. But at the end of the day, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to look back and think, gee, I wish I'd spent more time on the internet. So I haven't owned a mobile phone for about 10 years and it's absolutely fantastic. You know, as a writer, one of my most important tools in my toolbox is the ability to concentrate on abstract concepts for hours at a time. And when I had a phone or easy access to the internet in my writing space at home, there was just this constant distracting attentional tug. Maybe you want to refresh your feed. Oh, has someone emailed you? What's happening online right now? I'd find that any time that I, especially when writing got difficult, I was sort of finding it tough to power through or solve a problem or was just in the weeds, then the temptation to just go to that little dopamine hit offered by the internet would pull me away from the work You know, when I first got rid of my phone, people used to say things to me like, you know, you're crazy. How can you not own a mobile phone? I've really noticed that in the last couple of years, when I tell people I don't have a phone now, they start to say things like, gee, I wish I didn't have a phone. And I think the reason is that something has really changed in terms of you know, the internet itself and the social media platforms that we spend our time on and the sophistication of the algorithms powering those platforms has increased dramatically. They are much, much better at knowing what will cause you to click and continue and or continue to click and continue to scroll. They're much better at directing your attention than you are yourself. And, you know, we've already reached the stage where the world's greatest computer can beat the the world's greatest human chess player. And I think we're sort of reaching the stage where the, the world's greatest AI designed to direct human attention is better than humans at directing one's own attention. So you get on these platforms and you only mean to get on for 10, 15 minutes and before you know it, half an hour, an hour has passed and you just lose time. And I'm, I'm pretty jealous and protective of my time. I like to spend, you know, time in the real world, long concentrated time with long form writing, books and novels, just giving something my full attention and having deeper sort of real world experiences is just my, my preference. And I, I find that it is so much better for my art so that's why I, I don't have a phone. In, in my house I have, I do have a modem, but I, 
I've got a time lock safe and basically I, I put my modem into the safe and you set the timer and the safe doesn't open until the timer goes off. So I'll have days at a time, you know, three, four, five days where the safe is just closed and I'm I'm offline even in my own house. As for how do I communicate with my editor and connect with fans, I can just take my computer to an internet cafe and jump on the Wi-Fi there. It just means that the internet is not there constantly as a, a background pull on my time and attention. Question six, your career began with online serialized fiction. Can you tell us about how you came to write online serial fiction and how that evolved into adult fiction? Well, the first fiction that I ever wrote online was when I was a, a much younger, a teenager, and I, I used to write fan fiction. And I think that I wrote fan fiction. In retrospect, if I look back, I wrote fan fiction because what I wanted from mainstream fiction, I, I just wasn't finding. So I was part of large communities of other fan fiction writers who we were writing queer versions of, of stories or even just exploratory fan fiction that would do alternative universes, twists or spins on ideas. It was just a way of it was kind of a counterculture, you know. We weren't seeing ourselves represented in the mainstream culture and so we were creating a, an, an underground world of writing where we we did find ourselves. Then when I started to write my first original fiction, which was the series that became Captive Prince, it was back in 2013, 2014, and back then, you know, there just really wasn't anything like captive prints on commercial shelves. It was before the new kind of golden age explosion of, of, of LGBT fantasy. And, you know, there were very, very few antecedents with, you know, fantasy with LGBT protagonists. But the space where I had seen that kind of fiction before had been online. I'd seen gay and lesbian fan fiction. I'd seen web comics and web serials. And so at that time, I just thought, oh, that's what this story is. This is a story that's for the internet because it's not something that ever appears on commercial shelves. So I started to write Captive Prince as an online serial and it, it kind of grew in popularity. It had that trajectory of a, a viral property where it had a long, slow build and then it suddenly exploded into popular consciousness in the same way that, you know, suddenly in season two, everyone's talking about Game of Thrones. And I still wasn't conceiving of it as a commercially published series. And so I, I self-published it at, at the request of, of readers who um, kept asking me for a paperback copy. Before I did that, I did actually shop it around. But again, uh, publishers weren't really touching that type of material at that time. And I, I think the kindest response that I got to my queries was, we just don't think there's a market for this, this book. And so I self-published and pretty much straight away, you know, the book became a, a bestseller. It was hitting number one across categories on Amazon. And I was actually approached by a US agent who told me that she thought that she could sell Captive Prince to a big six a publisher. And I didn't believe it, but it turned out that she could. And then the book went on to be published by Penguin Random House and became a USA Today and international bestseller. 
and uh, and it, in a way it was a, a book that was a kind of a proof of concept that these kind of stories could be uh, that there was a market. Not only was there a market, it was it was a starving market, a market that was so hungry for content. And that's how my online serial fiction evolved into uh, commercially published adult fiction. I, it was uh, it was the Captive Prince series, and and I'm I'm forever grateful to the readers that that I still know and remember from those early days uh, when the book was an online serial because they've allowed me to have my my adult career. Question seven: What are your top three tips to aspiring writers? The first is uh, when you're trying to write your first book, you you kind of have to not just write your first book, but kind of change yourself from someone who can't write a book into someone who can write a book. And uh, for me, one of the most helpful exercises that I learned in order to help me do that I learned in a, mas- a writing masterclass and that was to write down a list of everything that was preventing me from writing my first novel. And so that might include things like time management, not having enough time, procrastinating, you know, personal things I find like uh, finding it hard to concentrate or it might be skill gaps. I don't know how to, for example, you might not know how to plot very well, or you might have problems with character building or some other aspect of writing. So just to write a list of all of those things, and then to write at least one concrete practical solution to each of them. I think what's really helpful about that exercise is that it lets you confront exactly what it is that you're going to have to overcome to write your first novel and um, to put in place practical steps that you can take. And, uh, and, and it, it takes the insurmountable feeling uh, and it starts you on a path of things that you can actually do to progress in writing your first manuscript. So that's the first piece of advice. The second, I think, something that I wish that I had known is, you know, it's, it's actually really difficult to write a novel. And when you first start out trying to write one, you're not very good at it because it takes a while to learn the skills that you need to, to write the book with the result that there is a long period uh, when you're starting out writing where you're, what, what you're writing are just, you know, isn't as good as you would like it to be. And there's an overwhelming, there can be an overwhelming feeling of like, oh, I just can't do this. But I think what is important to realize is that this is a part of the process that everyone goes through. You're just at a natural part in the process. And the feeling that, oh, I just can't do this is I just can't do this yet. But if I keep working on my craft, I will eventually do this. I think like I wish that I had known like, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to write bad early drafts or to write beginnings of books that don't turn into books yet. It doesn't mean you won't succeed. It doesn't mean you're not a writer. It's simply a stage that everyone goes through on the path to writing their first book. I think we realize that, for example, writing a PhD is very hard. People take three to six years to write one, uh, three years full-time, six years if they're writing it part-time. 
and you do it in a supported environment with a mentor and uh, you've probably come up learning how to write long-form essays or argumentative fiction or whatever it is that will then turn into your PhD, was it you start to write a novel and you don't have any of those support structures necessarily in place. So just, yeah, give yourself a permission to be bad at first and to know that it doesn't mean that you won't write a great book further along the line. The last thing that I would say, my final tip would be to writers like myself who, who can sometimes, well, for example, I'm a queer writer uh, and there have been times when I've been nervous to write about queer experiences because I've worried perhaps there's not going to be a market for this book or perhaps, you know, this is not something that, yeah, would, would get published. But I think what I've learned and what I'd love to give as advice to aspiring writers is don't gatekeep yourself. Like, Don't make assumptions about what kind of writing will and will not be published. Let yourself be daring and messy and vulnerable in your writing. You don't have to hold yourself back. You know, there may well be gatekeepers that you encounter in your career, but let them do that, (laughs) you know, and, and deal with those obstacles as they arise. But don't do their job for them. Don't hold yourself back because, you know, it's just so important that the world see and experience your own personal expression, the ways in which it's unique, not the ways in which it's trying to conform to your ideas about what the market wants or, or, or doesn't want. Now I'm going to narrate the first chapter of my book, Dark Rise. Prologue, London, 1821. Wake him up, said James, and the hard-faced shipman promptly lifted the wooden pail he held and threw its contents into the face of the man slumped and restrained in front of them. Water slapped Marcus, splashing him into consciousness, coughing and gasping. Even dripping, chained and beaten, Marcus had a nobility to him, like a knight gallant in a faded tapestry. The arrogance of the stewards, thought James. It lingered, like the stinking miasma of the river, though Marcus was manacled to prohibit all movement in the bowels of Simon Crean's cargo ship. Down here, the ship's hold was like the insides of a whale ribbed in wood, The ceiling was low. There were no windows. Light came from the two lamps that the shipmen had hung when they had dragged Marcus in here perhaps an hour ago. It was still dark outside, though Marcus would have no way to know that. Marcus blinked wet eyelashes. His dark hair fell into his eyes in dripping strands. He wore the tattered remains of the livery of his order, its silver star stained with grime and blood. James watched the horror rising in Marcus's eyes as he realised he was still alive. He knew. Marcus knew what was going to happen to him. So Simon Crean was right about the stewards, said James. Kill me! Marcus's throat scraped with gravel, as though seeing James meant a full understanding of what was happening. Kill me, James, please, if you ever felt anything for me. James dismissed the shipman beside him, and he waited until the man was gone, until there were no sounds but the creak of water and wood, and he and Marcus were alone. Marcus's hands were chained behind his back. He was sprawled awkwardly because of it, unable to right his balance, thick chains binding him with no give to the four heavy iron brackets of the ship. 
James's eyes passed over the massive, immovable iron links. All those vows. You've never really lived at all. Don't you wish you'd been with a woman or a man? Like you? Those rumours, said James evenly, aren't true. If you ever felt anything for any of us, you strayed too far from the flock, Marcus. I beg you, said Marcus. He said the words like there was a system of honour in the world, like all you had to do was appeal to a person's better nature and goodness would prevail. The self-righteousness of it stuck in James's throat. Beg me then. Beg me on your knees to kill you. Do it. James hadn't thought Marcus would do it, but of course he did. He probably loved it, on his knees in an act of martyring self-sacrifice. Marcus was a steward, had spent his life keeping vows and following rules, believing in words like noble and true and good. Marcus moved awkwardly, unable to balance without his hands, finding a new posture within the chains with humiliating difficulty, his head lowering, his knees spreading on the planking. Please, James, please, for what's left of the stewards. James looked down at that bowed head, that battered, handsome visage that was still naive enough to hope that there was a way out for him. I'm going to stand at Simon's side, said James, while he ends the line of stewards. I'm not going to stop until there's no one left to stand in your hall, until the last of your light flickers and goes out. And when darkness comes, I'll be standing next to the one who will rule it all. James's voice was precise. You think I felt something for you? You've forgotten who I am. Marcus looked up then, eyes flashing. It was the only warning James had. Marcus pulled, calling on all his strength so that his muscles strained and bulged, flesh pitted against iron. For a single terrifying moment, the iron groaned, shifting. Marcus made an agonised sound as his body gave out. A laugh of relief bubbled up in James's throat. Stewards were strong, but not strong enough. Marcus was panting. His eyes were furious. Underneath that, he was terrified. You're not Simon's right hand, said Marcus. You're his worm, his bootlicker. How many of us have you killed? How many stewards will die because of you? Everyone but you, said James. Marcus's face turned ashen. And for a moment, James thought he was going to beg again. He would have enjoyed that. But Marcus just stared back at him in thick silence. It was enough for now. Marcus would beg again before this was over. James didn't need to provoke it. He only needed to wait. Marcus would beg and no one would come to help him here on Simon's ship. Satisfied, James turned to walk out up the wooden stairs that would lead him to the deck. He had his foot on the first step when Marcus's voice rang out behind him. The boy's alive. James felt hotly resentful that it made him stop. He forced himself not to turn, not to look at Marcus, not to take up the bait. He spoke in a calm voice as he continued on his way up the steps to the ship's deck. That's the trouble with you, stewards. You always think there's hope. There you go. C.S. Pacat is well known for writing intriguing characters and exciting storylines, and this is no exception. As you heard in the intro, when I found out that they don't have a mobile phone, I just had to ask about it. I don't know, the idea of not being connected to the internet. I mean, I couldn't do it. I love my notifications. Um, I also enjoyed hearing how C.S. Pacat developed their career from writing online to self-publishing to being traditionally published. The publishing landscape has changed 
changed so much. And their journey shows that if you have a story you're passionate about, and if you can find a community of readers, then you can find alternative ways of being published. And if you'd like to publish your own exciting YA novel, young adult novel, you should start with a course at the Australian Writers' Centre, just like award-winning YA author Astrid Schultz. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Here's what Astrid Schultz says. I'd always loved writing, but it had taken a bit of a backseat while I was working in film and pursuing my career. And I tried a few times to to write a different story, but I usually would get stuck around 20 to 25,000 words. And I didn't know or have the tools to kind of continue with that process to see the manuscript through. So that's what really led me to looking at a course to push through to the end. So the first course that I signed up was for creative writing stage one. It was just a great starting point of Acknowledging that this was something I wanted to take seriously, it was something that I was investing my time into. The things I found most useful about Creative Writing One was actually being in a classroom environment with other people who had the same desires and aspirations to be published as I did. So it also gave me a wonderful network. It was just this really wonderful time where you know you set aside certain hours a week and you would go into this very supportive environment and learn about something that you're extremely passionate about. So you get to keep that community alive through the Facebook groups to have to support you through your writing career. I enrolled in several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and each one gave me some sort of knowledge or skill or advice that I didn't know about whatever the topic was, whether it was creative writing in general, how to write a novel, how to write history, mystery or magic. And it really kind of gave me this general understanding and base for going out into the world with my manuscripts and hoping to get published. I did envision myself being a published author ever since I was a young kid. I'm so excited to say that I am a published author. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Thanks for listening to this special episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Connect with us on social media at writerscentreau on Twitter and Instagram and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.